Welcome to Counseling Over Coffee, a podcast of Redeemer Counseling Group. Whether you are listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, we are happy to have you. And if you enjoy this podcast, it helps if you rate and review us, particularly on Apple Podcasts. And of course, any sharing of the podcast on social media is greatly appreciated. For more information about Redeemer Counseling Group, you can visit our website at RedeemerCounselingGroup.com or look us up on Facebook. And with that, here is Cherie with Counseling Over Coffee. So for the past month, I've been deviating a little bit from my podcast format to talk about some current issues First of all, about a month ago, um, three and four episodes ago, I talked with my son, Jake, who's an Orlando attorney, and Benny and I explored our history with the pro-life movement, and then Jake helped us with some questions about the Dobbs decision that reversed Roe versus Wade, and it was just a really helpful, interesting conversation if you missed those and would like to tune in. And then... Last week and the week before, our son Joey was here with us talking to us about parenting. And he asked some questions about our, our history with parenting, with us you know, having seven children from early 40s to late 20s. And we also shared very openly about ways in which our parenting philosophies and methodologies have adjusted a little over the years and and ways that they haven't. So it's been a fun little visit with our sons. But today, I'm back to wanting to talk about uh, the issue of anger. And specifically, what can we do when loving an angry person makes life hard? Or what if I'm that angry person whose anger is negatively impacting those closest to me? That's what I'd like to explore on the podcast today. But First, let me say this. I'm sure that some of you listening have been deeply affected, deeply affected by patterns of anger, either your own or that of others. And perhaps you grew up in an angry home where you suffered physical or emotional abuse, or you're in a marriage to an angry spouse who seeks to control or manipulate or or hurt you with anger. Or perhaps you struggle with patterns of anger toward your family or co-workers or friends in damaging ways, and you feel too embarrassed to talk about it. Please know that this podcast is not designed to address these kinds of situations. If any of this describes you, I pray that you will pursue help from someone who can explore how to resolve these struggles well with you. What I'll be focusing on is the more ordinary, common ways anger affects us all. Because anger is one of those emotions that impacts each of us probably on a regular basis. Now, how can I generalize like that? Well, I'll mention three reasons. First, anger is like all emotions. It is on a wide spectrum from simple irritation on one side to explosive or violent rage on the other. 
For years, I didn't realize how often anger was motivating me because it just didn't come out in angry outbursts or yelling or throwing things or hateful looks. It's not that those things never happened. In fact, as I'm sitting here, I'm remembering I had my first throwing things incident only a few years ago when I was so mad at Benny that I actually threw my phone at him. Well, actually near him so that it would fall on the carpeted floor and not break because I knew that would be costly. But the point was, I wanted him to know just how mad I was. And that was the most angry reaction I could think of. And it was the only thing close enough for me to throw. But because my anger usually takes the form of things like irritation or frustration or sulking, I didn't take what was going on in my heart seriously years ago. So while I didn't yell at my kids, they could certainly tell when mom was irritated. And I've learned from them that that usually resulted in them starting to clean up whatever room they were in because they knew mom likes things neat. So this is a way to make her feel better. In his excellent book, I would highly recommend this. You can find it on Amazon. A small book about a big problem, Meditations on Anger. That's a small book about big problem, Meditations on Anger by Dr. Ed Welch. He says, and I quote, anger can be explosive or it can slowly simmer. Whatever form it takes, it leaves a path of broken relationships in its wake. This quote from this little book has reshaped my view of anger. Whether I was simmering about my kids being disrespectful or deceitful or messy or just not doing whatever I had asked them to do, or that day when I threw my phone at Benny, anger damages relationships if left unchecked. A second reason anger is so common is because we're made in the image of God and emotions are one of the ways we bear that image. Because God gets angry, we get angry. Just like our love, our kindness, jealousy, and lots of other emotions uh, we experience, we have them because we're made to be like him. Now, of course, there's a problem. God's anger is never sinful because he's not able to sin. And even his most fierce demonstrations of anger in scripture, like that time when he opened up the ground and swallowed up complainers, you remember that one? Or sending all the plagues to a stubborn Pharaoh and his people. His anger, God's anger, is a part of his core character as a good, loving, compassionate, and wise God. Unlike us at times, God's anger isn't capricious or selfish or used as an attempt to control people. When God gets angry, it's because whatever injustice happened warrants a strong response on his part. And sometimes injustice does the same to us. It tempts us to be angry. But our anger is often at least tainted by sin, if not sin full out. 
but we've all heard the phrase righteous anger, which we are capable of. We can be angry and it not be sinful. But that's a topic for maybe for another podcast. And here's the thing. Anger is most often a response to some kind of injustice. Something is wrong and it's got to be made right. And we're think, we think we're the ones to make it right. And anger is often a mask. This has been such a helpful concept to me. Anger often masks either fear or sadness and loss. So how does this work? Think about it. Anger makes us feel strong and confident. Well, and right. <laughs> Anger empowers us and some of us lack the courage to really say what we're feeling or thinking unless we're angry. Fear or sadness do the opposite to us. They make us feel weak and vulnerable, ashamed or scared or depressed. So many of us avoid these dark emotions and places by resorting to anger to return us to a place of strength and confidence. When you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. The problem is it's a false place of strength and confidence. If anger is empowering and brings confidence, assurance, and this feeling that we're righting some kind of wrong, then why would we choose feeling sad or anxious or lost instead? Well, let me introduce you to two people I know who are finding hope in exploring their struggles with anger rather than quickly pushing it aside and moving on or saying that quick apology. Admittedly, they turned to a counselor because they had tried unsuccessfully to overcome angry patterns in their lives with either excuses or incomplete confessions. And while these stories are real, the names in some of the situations have been in, you know, changed for obvious reasons. First is Terry. Terry's a mom of several children, including a preteen daughter who was dealing with a lot of guilt and regret over an increasing pattern of anger with the kids. She actually hadn't realized how bad things had gotten until her sister Pam came for a visit and it had been several years since Pam and Terry had been together with the kids around. But she hadn't, so she hadn't been around to see that, that Pam's battles with anger had been like a, a stove that was slowly getting hot. But Pam did see it flare toward Terry's oldest daughter during their visit. In short, Pam's visit concluded with her asking Terry to talk. Pam shared her concerns about her sister's impatience and irritability with the kids during her visit, which again was, was different. And she brought up the incident when Terry cursed at her middle school daughter during a heated argument over Grace texting a boy at school. He was an older boy Tim and Terry didn't approve of, and Grace had promised to stop interacting with him. But Terry discovered they had been texting frequently while Aunt Pam had been there. Pam hoped that Terry would see her anger as wrong and sinful and that she would apologize to Grace before their relationship worsened. She hoped that 
Terry could find a different path forward to talk with Grace about this boy. And her parting words were, Terry, I just hate to see your and Grace's relationship be so different than yours with mom. Mom never acted like this toward us. And I'm worried. Please don't let your anger come between you and Grace. You're a good mom, and I'm really concerned. Terry admitted that she was angry at Grace, but assured Pam that once she had children, she would understand how hard it is to raise kids these days with all the technology options they never had as kids and the importance of protecting children from people who could influence them wrongly. Next, let's talk about Dan. When Benny and I started meeting with him and Tanya, their marriage was in in pretty serious trouble. From Tanya's perspective, Dan had drifted from being playful and happy to being withdrawn and aloof. Since shortly after their wedding two years prior, Dan had experienced exaggerated angry outbursts about little things that really surprised Tanya and frankly kind of scared her, like their puppy peed on the floor during potty training and an Amazon uh, driver delivered their package to the neighbor and Dan was it just exploded with anger. She was confused because during the nearly two years they had dated, Tanya hadn't seen Dan get so angry, even about weightier issues. Things came to a head when Dan told Tanya there may be some layoffs at work. He assured her he wouldn't have any trouble finding a job. He'd been a successful accountant for nearly 10 years. What he didn't tell her until much later was that he was on probation for an angry outburst in a meeting with his boss that ended with him storming out of the room. Well, Tanya was heartbroken and confused. She felt like Dan was a different person and didn't understand why. She had even asked him if he was involved with another woman, which only made Dan angry and she that she would even suspect him of such a thing. He moved into the guest bedroom and avoided her for days. So, how can you and I help Terry, Dan, and Tanya? And in a much broader way, how can we care for and help angry people in general? Because we all encounter that anger in ourselves and in those around us. I want to share three tips I found helpful in exploring my and others' anger. First, normalize anger as something we all face. Once I stopped defining anger in a really narrow way that exonerated me as someone who struggled with it, I found it much easier to empathize with and support others. While I've never cursed and patternly in a patterned way or yelled at my kids, I could identify with Terry's stressful life, especially as she faced some fast approaching teen years with Grace, who was already being pulled to friends Terry didn't feel were a good influence. When we can't see the seeds of anger in our own hearts, it's going to be hard to listen, empathize, and make it easy for others to receive our comfort, our care, and even our gracious correction when needed. No one wants to talk to someone 
who's essentially saying, yeah, I can't really relate to that struggle. And though we wouldn't say those words, our lack of compassion and patient listening and rushing to ways to fix the person will speak much louder than those words. Second, a few months back, I did an episode here on the podcast called The Story Behind the Story. You can go back and listen to it if you'd like to know more about what I'm talking about here. But to summarize, we too often interact with someone's strong emotions without exploring what's behind them. I learned something really important in an excellent book called Untangling Emotions by Alistair Groves and Winston Smith. And they made this great point. Emotions reveal values. I'll say that again. Emotions reveal values. So when what or who we highly value feels threatened, Emotions like anger come to the surface to alert us to this threat. Like when I threw my phone at Benny that day. I realized as I was processing that incident as, you know, I'm 60 some years old and I'm throwing my phone at my husband. I learned that the the value I place on being heard and seen by him and pursued for my thoughts and my input is is a higher, stronger value than I realized. Honestly, I can't even remember what our conflict was about. I just remember feeling overlooked and not considered. And was Benny doing that, especially intentionally? Again, I don't remember and I doubt it was intentional. But what became clearer to me than ever that day was that when I don't feel considered or like my opinion is valued right or wrong, I get angry. For years, that anger was often invisible because I wasn't prone to rage or outbursts like some of the other, quote, angry people I knew. But then, in a split second and before I knew what was happening, something deep and under the surface in my heart erupted with, now you know, how important this is to me as I I didn't say those words but he saw my phone coming at him while I later apologized to Benny for both my actions and the angry attitudes behind him which which was warranted I should have done that I knew that a quick apology and behavior adjustment wasn't going to help me long term why well let's go back to Dan and Terry Over time, I learned that Terry grew up in the church, but during her adolescence, she became sexually active with a boy in a neighboring town who was three years older. So if you remember Terry's story from earlier, you're going to start to understand where we're going here. No cell phones or computers made it possible for Terry and her boyfriend to spend time And the only way she could do it was to lie to her parents that she was going to a friend's house. Within months, 15-year-old Terry learned she was pregnant. To make a very long story short, her and the boy's parents both felt the only solution was an abortion. For a couple of months, her boyfriend made a few 
attempts to check in on her, but then disappeared completely from her life. And other than the shame of the abortion, which was, which was really hard and very weighty for Terry, what was most hurtful to her during that season and beyond was her mother's angry reactions and accusations that this wouldn't have ever happened if Terry had just listened to her warnings about that boy. This once warm mother and daughter relationship became strained as both women attempted to put the situation aside and pretend it never happened. Nearly 20 years later, the subject had never come up between them. And her younger sister, Pam, who was just 10 years old at the time, was told nothing then or now, including the superficial, sometimes forced relationship that Terry had with their mom. So, how can this information about Terry that I've just shared with you, the story beyond, behind the story, influence how we think about her battles with anger? And would Pam, knowing her sister's full story, change how she felt and communicated about her sister's anger toward Grace? The story behind the story, understanding what happened to Terry as a young teenager, doesn't excuse or defend her treatment of Grace. But it does help us to understand the why behind her angry reactions. Terry was battling a weighty amount of fear that Grace would repeat her tragic story. So out of genuine love and a desire to protect her daughter, Terry found false refuge and anger. She highly values family relationships and had desperately tried to build a different relationship with Grace than she has with her own mother. And this boy felt like that relationship was being threatened. Something wrong was happening that needed to be made right. Grace had to stop talking to this older boy who didn't share their family values before something really bad happened. So while fear made Terry feel weak and scared, anger made her and us feel protective, strong, and in her case, like a good parent. So, is it surprising that she chose angry control over the vulnerability of crippling fear? What was she to do with the thoughts that at the right time, she might need to open up the shame and sadness of her own adolescence to her daughter? A story hidden in silence for nearly two decades. So for Dan, there was also a story behind the story of his anger. For nearly 15 years prior to getting married, Dan had viewed internet pornography on a regular basis. Uh, It doesn't matter at this point how he got exposed to it, but he had never spoken to anyone about it. Even as a boy, he felt it was wrong. He knew it was wrong and he felt guilty. And over the years, he made commitment after commitment to himself that he would stop. And he was far too ashamed to admit this secret to Tanya. He believed that this common myth and wrong assumption that once they were married and sex was a regular part of his life, the desire for porn would disappear. But 
All too quickly, he learned that physical intimacy with his wife didn't silence the urge for porn. Because while porn is certainly about lust and sex, it can also be about a lot more. Things like reward or comfort, false intimacy or control. It only happened a few times at first, but in the past year, porn was on his mind more and more and his victories less and less. With the increase in what he later learned had become an addiction, he didn't see his problem because of, again, like I was narrowly defining anger, he was narrowly defining addiction to guys who looked at porn every day and there was an onset of angry outburst at home and at work to alert him that he had a problem. Dan knew he needed help with his anger because both Tanya and his boss were being negatively impacted by his foolish outbursts. But what Dan didn't know was that the stubbornness and shame behind his anger was what was destroying his wife. He found himself at times consumed with fear about what she would do if she found out, not just about the porn, but about the lying and deceit and hiding that had been going on. Now Tanya knew something was wrong and finally allowed the question of physical adultery to actually come out of her mouth. But what she didn't know was that Dan lived with a growing conflict in his heart. How could he continue to protect this secret life of pornography that he now longed for and was addicted to while battling the shame and conviction that he needed to confess and get help. I won't say that Dan and Terry have put all the battles with anger behind them forever, but when the hidden issues of their hearts were explored, the story behind the story, they grew in both biblical conviction for their sin and in hope for change. And they are both understanding the importance of turning to God, not to porn or anger, when the fear or sadness or shame that fueled their attempts at self-protection through anger still come up. The Bible affirms this need to go to the story behind the story, the heart behind our actions and our behavior through scripture. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life or the fruits of life, as one translation says. And Matthew, in his letter, uh, chapter 15, verse 19, says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander, and I would say sinful anger. Anger and the fears and sadness and shame that fuel it come from hearts that want to avoid the weakness and darkness of loss and anxiety. This doesn't mean that our care for people excuses their sinful anger because after all, they're really just afraid or sad. No, the opposite is true. Our care 
is ultimately targeted to ours and others' growth, which requires that we and they live confessionally, eager to see and repent of the sin that Paul says so eagerly entangles and chokes us. But the question is why? Why do we want to target that the sin and the the things that fuel our anger in our hearts because this we want to live lives pleasing and glorifying to God we want to love others long and well these are the reasons why we pursue growth and change not to protect ourselves from the suffering and the pain we all face in life we roll up our sleeves and we explore our sin and our stories so that we can run with endurance the race marked out for us a race Christ has run for us and he and he calls us to to follow in his steps infused with his energy and with great assurance that we will one day hear those words well done good and faithful servant not because of what we've done and how hard we've worked to overcome but because he gave us his life of perfect obedience in exchange for our sin and our shame on the cross. This is incredible news. And this big truth can actually affect our daily interactions with our wayward teen or our disobedient toddler or arrogant coworker or an irritating spouse or roommate. This, This truth, this truth can come down and invade our everyday lives and struggles. Dan and Terry and I are learning to experience Christ in the fears and losses and shame and sadness in our broken lives rather than protect ourselves from those hard emotions using anger. And again, why? because someone didn't rush to confronting our sin. So we could then confess and turn to forsake it with the help of the Spirit of God. And you and I, you and I can do this very same thing for other angry people, one conversation at a time.